As featured in the November 2023 issue of Men's Health magazine, To Catch a Con Man is the very intimate and detailed true story of exposing one of the most prolific and successful serial con men to operate in the Midwest. A career con man who was able to get away with scamming and stealing in and around the suburbs of Chicago for more than 40 years. What's even more interesting is that he had never been arrested in Illinois for running his scams, some that date as far back as the 1980s. If there is a living devil and evil on this earth, it is him. To Catch a Con Man is brought to you by Studio 847 in Long Grove, Illinois. Could a hundred grand sustain my life? It couldn't even come close. So, so listen to me. If I was going to be in some sort of a con, scam, conniving thing, it'd be for millions. It wouldn't be for $100,000. Listener discretion is advised, as some of this programming contains language and content that might be offensive to some listeners. On the last episode of To Catch a Con Man, Lone Wolf, Adam took us back to March of 2018, detailing each and every element of Ricky Dugo's opportunity. You were given the inside scoop on how easily and quickly the deal escalated, with Dugo manipulating the deception. No amount of money is ever enough, and he always went back to the well for more. In this episode, Adam will take you back into the early days of Lake County's investigation, including a shaky start for the investigative team and their data collection team. How far would you go in order to help Lake County turn the tide and assist in taking Ricky Dugo down? This is Failed Attempts. Join me on this adventure to catch a con man. This is Adam Albin. It is nearly lunchtime on June 7th, 2018. I have been inside a rectangular conference room inside of the Lake County State's Attorney's Office in Waukegan, Illinois for almost two hours. Both Detective Bill Bang and Assistant District Attorney Fred Day asking me to provide each and every detail and then asking more questions over the top of those details. They have a hard stop at noon. I am emotionally taxed from telling the story of being swindled by Ricky Dugo. It's exhausting to admit. And what I have learned in this experience is that those folks you have told your story to will verbally tell you they are not judging you. But I can see it in their eyes and in their faces that they think a little less of you. I mean... It is enough to feel the immense shame and incredible embarrassment for falling prey to any scammer con. Then there is the guilt and regret that piles onto those other emotions. You already feel pretty terrible in general, abandoned in a sense, as you really do not have many to turn to for help, guidance, and advice. You are forlorn eyes, hoping you wake And it's only been a bad dream. But you are living the nightmare. And it just keeps going around in circles. There is nothing sexy or glamorous about being victimized. Moreover, financially terrorized by someone as sleazy as the Ricky Dugos of this world. There is nothing sexy about white-collar crime in general. Theft and fraud 
are not the crimes people are really paying attention to compared to violent crimes. And that is totally understandable. While it may not be what everybody wants to admit in here, is that scams and cons and theft and fraud run rampant in the United States. In fact, an older study that is posted on the U.S. Department of Justice called How Much Does White Collar Crime Cost notes annual losses from the preceding white collar crimes are estimated at $426 billion to $1.7 trillion a year. Consumer and personal fraud, which is what I would classify a scammer like Dugo to be, comes in at 40 to $100 billion in annual losses. It is estimated that there are up to 90% of white-collar crimes that go unreported, but I personally think that that number may be too high. I can tell you statistically speaking from the Dugo victim pool I have talked to that only about 5% of the Ricky Dugo victims that I've spoken to, and I've talked to over 100 actual victims that were defrauded by this scumbag, actually went to the police at some point and or contacted the FBI. There have been two different victims that have allegedly tried to get the FBI to open a case file. Two victims we haven't explored yet, but later in this podcast, we may hear some of their stories. And by allegedly, I mean, I know that they did. I just have never been able to get a return phone call from the agents that they sat down with. From what I have been told by both victims and Lake County's investigative team is that every previous attempt to get the FBI's attention fell on deaf ears. The supposed response was that Ricky Dugo simply wasn't a big enough fish. In order to gain the FBI's attention and for them to open a case and investigation, you may be required to have a single loss of over $250,000. What I can tell you is Dugo had many scams where he stole over $250,000 from a single victim or single family. This is another topic that chaps my ass. If the FBI had stepped in and not only opened an investigation, but subsequently filed federal charges, this hypothetical information may have shown up on a background check, and they may have slowed Dugo down. But that never happened. No single agency nor any collaboration of agencies, at least in Illinois, were ever able to stop him. It is noon now. It has taken me almost two hours to go over the finer details and to explain the complex web of information I was attempting to weave. They remind me that they have other obligations, and before we part ways, they do commit to looking into Ricky Dugo. But they say so with a disclaimer of sorts, not to get too excited, nor to get my hopes up. On Friday, June 8th, in the late morning, I get a call from Detective Bill. He was looking at some information that had come into the state's attorney's office that was linked to the Greg's Landing eviction paperwork. 
He wanted to know if I had a couple hours free and if I was willing to go back to the Lake County State's Attorney's Office today. He could find the time if I could carve it out. I was kind of gliding through the day at work and have a window of time I could cruise out to Waukegan and meet Detective Bill. On this occasion, after I signed the registry, the receptionist called Bill and I sat for a few minutes in a vestibule-like waiting room before Bill came down to get me. On the walls were various awards and framed news articles about the Lake County State's Attorney's Office and their special investigators. I remember seeing the name Michael Nierheim as the Lake County's chief prosecutor for the Northern District. Michael was the top brass of this office, a seat that he earned by winning the election in both 2012 and then 2016. By the plaques on the walls, I made the determination that this office and administration meant business. After a few minutes, Detective Bill came down and opened the door and asked me to follow him down a thin hallway that was adjacent to a very long section of bookcases, which were chock full of legal case file folders from floor to ceiling. We pass a few rooms on my right and eventually make it into a smaller interview room. Bill tells me to take a seat. He needed to run and get his file. In my head, I'm thinking, file? File? File of what? It's literally been like all of 26 hours since I was last here providing you a very thorough account of my adventure thus far. Bill pops back into the room and places a file on the desk. He pulls out what looks to be legal documents in two pictures. He shows me a picture of a man and a woman, and Bill points to the male figure in the picture and asks me, Is this Ricky Dugo? The picture I'm being shown is two people I have never seen before. A man in sunglasses wearing a black Nike t-shirt with a large gold Nike swoosh with his arm around a woman who is wearing a teal-colored top and a beaded necklace and sunglasses. Both of the subjects are smiling for the camera. But I am stumped and replied to Bill, No, Bill, that is not Ricky Dugo. I have never seen that man in the photo ever before. Bill asked me to look again and be sure. I am 100% positive that this is not Ricky Dugo. So I say, No, Bill. This isn't Dugo, and I pull out my phone and select the album named Dugo, and I show Bill a few pictures of him. Bill asks me to text him those pictures. I immediately comply and send those pictures over to Bill. He then pulls out another picture, and this one is of a woman, and Bill asks me if this is Shannon Dugo. Again, the picture is someone I've never seen before. And I again go into the Dugo picture file on my phone and say, No, Bill, this is Rick's wife, Shannon. And I also send him a few pictures of her. I am thinking we are off to a rough start here, guys, and maybe I should be worried. The long and short of the photo identification questions was that the Lake County State's Attorney's Office had for the past few weeks opened a file that was for an eviction 
on the 1674 Lock Lane House in Greg's Landing. Lake County case number 18LM000616. Faraz versus Klein. The offense, forcible entry and detainer, a.k.a. process for eviction and non-payment of rent, resulting in a judgment against Jeff Klein for $34,494 plus fees. There was an additional party to the case. They are listed as unknown occupants, or what we know now as who is really living there, the Dugos. This was the house owned by Faraz, and from one of my many conversations with him, he never knew Rick and his family were not the clients until months into the eviction process. The process server, whose job it is is to deliver legal documents by hand to defendants, was having a hell of a time trying to serve Jeff Klein in the eviction notices and the notices to appear in court. And I'm not talking about days to finally get him served, but months. When the process server was finally able to serve Jeff Klein, it wasn't in Vernon Hills, Illinois. It was in downstate Illinois. What the process server did find out and relayed back to the state was someone was living in that house and it wasn't Jeff Klein. The process server noted that there were unknown occupants living there. Mind you, Faraz, the homeowner, lives about 2,100 miles away in California, and he couldn't just drive over and or watch who was going in and out of his house. This was news to Faraz, and in 2018, it made him extremely uneasy as he didn't know who the Dugos were and how to get them out. Eventually, in June of 2018, the Dugos were kicked out of that house. An interesting item to note is that they left that house in a hurry, and in the garage, Faraz found a box that was filled with past Dugo memories and photos. Back in the interview room, Detective Bill Bang asked me if I had kept all of my text messages from my text string with Dugo, and if I had them on my phone, would I be willing to allow Lake County to download those messages off my phone so that they could potentially be used as evidence? Of course, I kept every correspondence that Rick and I had. In fact, as I let Bill know, I made sure each text noted everything in terms of how much money was exchanged and how many iPhones were promised, along with the detailed back-and-forth messages with meeting times and dates. The brilliant thing about modern technology is that with the Apple iPhone and Apple iPad ecosystem, anytime you send a text or picture from one Apple iPhone to another, the message is actually a proprietary technology called iMessage. iMessaging only works between two Apple iPhones or iPads, and it will show up in the text string as a blue message, notifying you that you are communicating with another Apple device user. You may notice the dates of the text strings are listed within the text string itself. But the impressive piece of technology is that there is metadata that is stored within each text. You can touch your screen and hold your finger while slightly dragging from right to left to see exact times each messages were sent. 
So let's say you have a string of 400 messages that were sent between two people. You can look to not only see the date of the message, but also the exact time that you sent them. Pretty cool if you ask me. Now, the process of downloading your phone by the Lake County Forensic Technology Investigative Team was not as simple. Bill presented me with an official document that I had to sign that stated I was giving Lake County my iPhone and I granted their permission to do so. I asked a few questions, specifically surrounding if they copy all files and content or if their program was just a copy and write transfer file for just my text messages. Bill brought me over to meet the team of their cyber forensic lab, whom would answer all of my questions surrounding the process and how it would work. They even take the phone and log the phone into a bag with an evidence tag, which I thought was pretty cool as it seemed like it was part of a TV show or movie. They confirmed that they would be downloading only the text string between Ricky Dugo and I, and that a handheld device would attach to my iPhone and they would input in a specific set of data, which was both of our cellular phone numbers. The device would then find those messages and then download them onto a central server to be used in the future, and it should be a relatively easy process. But that wasn't the case, as my phone had my company's MDM loaded on it. MDM is security management software that locks down a mobile device so that information cannot be removed or compromised if the device was stolen or hacked into. So I had to uninstall and remove the MDM from my iPhone, and then I gave the phone to the team. They mentioned it takes about 15 minutes, depending on how many messages. After an hour, the recording device timed out and the transfer had failed. The cybercrime detective tells me that something was corrupt in the transfer and they were not successful. It is getting late for a Friday and they are closing up shop early at 4 p.m. They asked me if I would be willing to come back on Monday in the morning to try this once again. As frustrating as it was to have to come back a third time in just as many weekdays, at least I knew the process and that I needed to remove the MDM software and wait for hours, not minutes, for the team to do this. So I agreed to come back on Monday in the morning and have the cyber team attempt to download my Apple iPhone 7 again and hope that it goes without issue. You know... I liked being around these guys at the Lake County State's Attorney's Office. Their career path I chose, selling technology, is not the coolest job to have. But these men and women in this office and with investigator titles and backgrounds get to do and see some really crazy shit. I knew that this would take some time, and they allowed me to hang around the office with them and shoot the shit. After about an hour and a half, the process was complete. Success. Lake County was able to see the entire text conversation string, and if the case moved forward into the future, they would have a backed-up copy and saved it for when they needed it. Well, 
At least we thought they would. More on that in a future episode. I received a call in the morning of Tuesday, August 21st, 2018, from Detective Bill Bang. Lake County wanted to try another overhear attempt this afternoon. They asked me how my day looked and if I could meet him and his team at the Vernon Hills Police Department around 3 p.m. He sends me over a formal document signed off by one of Lake County's judges. This document gives the court's approval to conduct a hidden surveillance over here. And you have 24 hours to attempt to record the subject via wiretap before the court's approval expires. Time is ticking. I print off a copy, I sign it, and email it back to Detective Bang's office. The detectives have been tailing Ricky Dugo on and off for the past six weeks, writing down notes on where he goes and when he goes. They predict that on this particular day, Tuesday, Dugo should be at his new gym, Lifetime Fitness in Vernon Hills, Illinois, anywhere from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Time. I once again head back to the Vernon Hills Police Department, and I am briefed on the goals and the plan. I am taken to a room where one of the Lake County Sheriffs starts the process of attaching a tiny wire underneath my shirt. I am purposely dressed in a black collared polo and blue jeans. It is a beautiful sunny 76 degree day. The dark black polo shirt should hide the microphone that's taped to my collarbone. The thin braided wire would then be taped down my chest and eventually weave to my backside where a tiny silver metal box will be mounted to the small of my back. They have me walk around the halls to make sure the microphone and recording device are hidden and undetectable. The way the device works is there's a tiny toggle switch that's once activated starts the recording process. The battery life of the audio recording box is four hours. So once activated, I am on the clock and we have limited time as the clock starts while we were at the Vernon Hills Police Department. Lifetime Fitness is eight minutes away, and once I get to Lifetime Fitness, I need to drive around the parking lot and try to find one of Dugo's parked cars to validate he is actually there. There is a team of 14 Lake County Sheriffs, Vernon Hills Cops, Lake County State's Attorneys, and Detectives, all disguised in plain street clothes and driving their own personal vehicles. They will be present in the parking lot doing surveillance and taking pictures using large zoom lenses mounted to digital cameras. Unlike what you see on TV and in the movies, this particular audio recording device does not allow law enforcement to listen to the conversation in real time. Once the device is activated at the police station, it is on and recording. I will have to trust that whatever is about to happen in this parking lot will be recorded. The detectives give me a last set of instructions. 
I have to be careful in how I word the conversation. I can't negotiate asking for my money back in return for not going to the police. There cannot be any reference to anything that is considered quid pro quo. Nothing tit for tat. I reckon that will be something that is hard to stay away from, but I will avoid trying to arrange my words as such. There are so many variables at play with this operation. I had no verification at the time that Dugo was actually present at the gym during this specific time. We had tried and failed the same court-approved overhear objective a week or so prior, but Dugo had instead left his house with a trailer full of Honda dirt bikes. A detective followed behind him for 30 miles, and that detective eventually called me about 45 minutes into the attempt. We were forced to abort this attempt after Dugo hit the highway heading way south towards Indiana with the motorbikes in tow. That day, I sat in my car waiting in a goddamn parking lot, sweating my balls off, and had nothing to show for it. I was frustrated, as this was now the fourth time in two weeks we had a court approved over here and missed the Dugo conversation. In the weeks before, I had agreed to go to the Lake County in Illinois investigator's office, where we attempted to record a phone conversation. We met on several days at that same office, trying to get Rick Dugo to pick up a call from my cell phone to his cell phone. Each day that we attempted to record the conversation required new court-approved paperwork. Each day I had to leave my work behind and drive to Waukegan. It was a process with so many boxes that had to be checked in the legal process. I was losing hope. Dugo was a guy that always answered his phone when victims called. Dugo was always a guy that responded to text messages from a victim with his lies and bullshit. Now it seemed to me like he was burrowing underground or at least keeping a very low profile. And from what I was hearing, he had started modifying his daily routine, staying home more often trying his best to figure out who was responsible for exposing him and outing him to the public. Personally, I think he was starting to get stressed out as the pressure was mounting and it was becoming harder for him to go anywhere locally without being embarrassed as the rumors had spread fast, far, and wide. One of the few takeaways for me was that if Lake County wanted to attempt an in-person wire recording mission in the future, well, at least I knew now what that process entailed. What most people never think about in regards to clandestine operations is how much planning, time, and effort is spent not only on the front side of the mission, but also on the back-end debrief. It was amazing to me that the court allowed such a short window and how something as simple as a fart in the wind could derail the attempt during that tiny window. Wearing a wire, not only once but twice, was unquestionably one of the most surreal moments of my life. I do not know anyone, not a single person, that has ever worn a wire. Maybe I can use that fact the next time I play two lies and a truth.
We see it all the time on true crime TV and crime-based movies. Informants and unsavory types that are facing convictions are always looking to trade for their immunity. But I wasn't trading anything. Additionally, I wasn't in any trouble with the law because of my deal with Rick. There was zero pressure for me to do this. It was merely an ask if I was willing to wear a wire. In order for me to continue towards the objective of obtaining an arrest and subsequent conviction, I knew that this was in line with my goals and something I didn't have to do, more so I wanted to do. If I could get in front of Rick and confront him and ask him for my money back, and if he actually admitted he had my money, I knew how impactful that could be to this case. My head was full of doubt. What if the recording device failed and or wasn't operational? What if Dugo was at Lifetime Fitness, but I couldn't get from my parking spot to where he was parked at in time? Surely it would look suspect if I was loitering next to his car. What happens if the adhesive on the tape fails and the microphone becomes exposed? What if Rick sees me and just ignores me and gets into his car and leaves? One of the last things that one of the sheriffs said to me before we left Vernon Hills was, you may have to take one for the team. He snickered. If he gets aggressive or violent, let him be the first to throw a punch. If we think you are in trouble, we will intervene and take action. Now, I'm not a small guy. I'm 5'10", 175 pounds, strong and built for my frame. But Ricky Dugo, when juiced up and on his steroid cycle, was a towering 6'2", and easily 270 pounds or so. He was a big dude, and being juiced up, he just never knew what was going to go down that day in the Lifetime parking lot. Thinking about it now, I was prepared for a fight, or at least to be pushed around. I knew that whatever happened after that, it was going to be a free-for-all, and if me showing up and confronting Rick blew one of his many short fuses, all of the work I had put in with the Lake County State's Attorney's Office would have been in jeopardy. Let's say a fight breaks out and 14 cops come to my rescue he will immediately know that I was the guy that was turning his life upside down. Whomever was trying to expose and take him down was still a ghost and had remained anonymous. I stayed true to what I held as paramount, and Dugo could not know I was the one that was haunting his life. I had to bite the bullet and be prepared for a physical confrontation. While standing face-to-face -to, -face to him, I needed to be stoic and control the uneasy feeling I had inside my stomach. I can only compare this feeling to the feeling I had when I was a kid and playing hide-and-seek. When you are the one that is hiding and you have that shaky feeling inside your body and you are trying to breathe normally, your heart racing and you're nervous and you have to pee all of the sudden. That is what wearing a wire feels like. The fight or flight response was kicking in. I could only hope this too shall pass.
Thank you for continuing to listen to this true crime story. We hope you enjoyed Episode 6, Failed Attempts. With a few stumbles early on in the investigation, Adam starts getting frustrated, but is determined to see the commitment through until the end. How far will he go to gain the upper hand? If you are engrossed by this story, please tell your friends and family about it and help us spread the word. Sharing is caring, and if we can all protect just one more victim from falling prey to a scammer, we have all done our part to make the world a safer place. On the next episode of To Catch a Con Man, we'll take you on an adventure, attempting to ensnare Ricky Dugo into an in-person conversation. If successful, there's a chance that Ricky Dugo gives up just enough information to seal his future fate. Something wicked this way comes, as Adam may have to take one for the team.